Good morning. It's good to see you all today. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We finished up last week with the Beatitudes, which were certainly descriptive of what every believer is. Blessed are those. And we need to understand that Jesus is certainly coming off that in his Sermon on the Mount, coming off of launching from this description, characteristics of believers, um, and into what he's about to say, you are the salt of the earth. I want us to think about what does that mean, and what does it mean for us, and how does it does it apply to us? Are we, as believers, salt of the earth? Absolutely, that's what he's getting at. He's speaking to his disciples, but he means it for all who follow him, that we are the salt of the earth. Now, I was pretty ambitious earlier in the week and uh, told Gordon that I'm going to cover 13 through 16. You would think after as long as he's been here, and he knows I'm just kidding when I say that. I'm not going to use that many verses. Uh, we're going to deal with salt of the earth, and because we are salt and light. Normally those go together, um, and I want us to know that they do go together. We're salt, and in other words, we're influencers. But we don't influence with just anything. We influence with the truth. We influence what is known as light. We bring to bear in churches and in society, wherever we are. Uh, the influence and the truth of the Word of God. And we do so with intent. Um, an interesting story uh, from Woodrow Wilson, uh, speaking of influence. Well, that's hard to say, you don't know that? Can you imagine the people of his day when he was president? You know, that president, the WWW, you know? Uh, but Woodward, Woodrow Wilson, President Wilson, <laughs> uh, conveyed a story. He said, I was in a very common place. I was sitting in a barber chair when I became aware that a personality had entered the room. A man had come quietly in upon the same errand as myself to have his hair cut and sat in the chair next to me. Every word the man uttered, though it was not in the least didactic, showed a personal interest in the man who was serving him. And before I got through with what was being done for me, I was aware that I had attended an evangelistic service. Because Mr. D.L. Moody was in the, that chair. I purposely lingered in the room after he had left and noticed, noted the singular effect that his visit had brought upon the barber shop. They talked in undertones. They didn't know his name, but they knew that something had elevated their thoughts. And I felt that I left that place as I should have left the place of worship. My admiration and esteem for Mr. Moody became very deep indeed. Influence. 
is what's being spoken of there. When Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, he's speaking of influence. Jesus expects his followers to influence the world. And their influence is empowered by the saving power of the cross and the living power of the resurrection. Jesus is not telling his disciples to become salt. Look at the words. Verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. If you are a Christian, you are the salt. This is not something that you become. This is something that you are by birth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's not a becoming. It's not a command. He's not commanding us to be salt. He's stating a fact in the indicative. He's saying you are the salt of the earth. The necessity of Christians in the world is compared to the necessity of salt here. That's what he's doing. The necessity of your influence in the world is like salt. Salt was very important in the life of Jewish worship. In Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13, Moses instructs the people, when you offer your grain offerings... Offer it with salt. The salt symbolizes uh, the true fellowship and true intent. It seals the covenant. That was the purpose of the salt. And so it's important for us to understand that in coming to know Jesus Christ, we are Something that he intends us to be and has intended us to be since before the foundation of the world. And so it's vital for us to understand what he is saying and uh, in what way he is saying it. He's not giving us a command to follow. He's giving us a life to live out. And so he points out, you are the salt of the earth. Of course, salt preserves its seasons, represents faithfulness to a moral center that stabilizes society, restrains evil, and puts on display the love of God. Scripture is filled with the results of unrestrained mankind. In Genesis 6, 11 through 12, uh, God notes, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. That is the inclination of mankind 
unrestrained. The inclination of mankind unrestrained uh, is, is to be corrupted. And to corrupt of their way and the ways of others. The psalmist writes in Psalm 14, 2 through 3, uh, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. And then he comes to this conclusion. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who do, does good, not even one. This is how we are unrestrained and unchanged by the gospel. The gospel transforms and it changes those that receive it and believe it. We're changed by the power of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's important to note what he says. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? I can't even tell you how much ink has been spilt on this particular part of the passage. Arguing whether salt can lose its saltiness or not and totally miss the point. The point is this. If Salt can lose it, if it can. What good is it? If we are the salt of the earth, if we are to have an influence that points to the living God and that is transformative in society and holds a moral compass up high, if that is the task of the church... And of the followers of Jesus Christ, what happens if they don't do it? What happens if they take a path that looks more like the world than something that God established? You know, so often one of the things that we uh, tend to do in, in evangelism is we try to look like the world or attract the world. Now, y'all probably noticed something. Every Sunday, you, you can take your, your, your liturgy. <laughs> it's one of those words, right? Okay, we call it an order of service, but I want you to know that is called a liturgy. And compare this week's to last week's. And last week's to the week before that. And the week before that, compare it to next week's. And see if the liturgy is not the same every time. See if the order of service is not the same every time. Now, one of the, one of the desires of so many churches and so many Christians is, you know what, we, we need to dim the lights and turn lights on on the stage and have some electric guitars and, and, and things like that. And let's change it up. Let's change it up every week, you know? That's not being salt of the earth. 
Because salt of the earth is very different than the substance that it cures. I looked it up this morning. I did a DuckGo duck search. And I found that a box of Morton salt cost 83 cents. Salt's still cheap. You say, well, it's not as cheap as it was when I was a kid. Yeah, well, you know. It's still under a dollar. You can make a small list of things you can buy under a dollar nowadays, right? But salt is one, very little value to it. But I tell you, you can take that salt and you can put it on a $15.99 ribeye. And you can preserve that piece of meat with just a few grains of salt. I I want us to see something. That there is a difference between salt and the substance that it influences. And that's one of the points that Jesus is making here. You say, well, you know, it's all the same, you know, going back to our worship services, it's all the same, you know, that's kind of boring. I have people all the time bringing me new stuff, you know, hey, see this app, you know, I, I don't care much for apps. You know, if we, we could do it this way, we could do it another way. Yeah, let's keep the routine. You say, well, we don't like things being routine. Let me tell you something about routine. Routine builds over time. It keeps building. Somebody says, well, I want to get fit. You know, what do you do? You go to the gym. How often do you do that? Ah, it really doesn't matter as long as I go. No, you got to get into a routine, don't you? You got to work at it over time. Let me tell you something. The routine of our worship builds the hearts and souls of believers to be different in this world. We're supposed to look different than this world. The salt is different than the substance. It preserves and seasons. There's a remedy to the corruptness of this world, the corruption. There's a remedy to the things that are Corrupt in God's sight. And that is the presence of Jesus' disciples in the midst of corrupt and ignorant generations. You know, we spend a lot of time talking about loving one another and being together as believers. uh, Being together in, in other believers' houses and worshiping together and small groups and things like that. But we should never do that. To the extent that we fail to influence the world around us. We must not forget that we have a mission to the world to deliver the gospel. And to influence issues in our society. Sinclair Ferguson writes, 
And I, I want to pay, us to pay close attention to something. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. Look at verse 12, rejoice and be glad. Why? Because you're persecuted. Interesting that it flows right there. Persecution, go be salt of the earth. Hey, they're going to hate you, go influence them. That's what's going on. That's the exchange that's happening. They're going to hate you, go influence them. They're going to hate you because you're trying to influence them. And Sinclair Ferguson writes this, uh, the Beatitudes come to a climax with a clear hint at the conflict that exists between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world. There is opposition to Christ's people and even persecution of them. The true church is too different for the world to tolerate it. The world sees the kingdom of God as a threat to its own ways, and so it seeks to destroy it. That is the response of the world to believers. What's our response? What's the response that we are to have? You are salt of the earth. That's what it is. Uh, the the uh, response as Christians to such hostility as is spoken of is influence. Love them. Care for them. Embrace them in such a way that they would see your good works and glorify God in heaven. So I want us to see two things. I pared that down from three. And I took out the light portion. We'll talk about that next week. Talking about the truth, we'll skim it today. Salt preserves. That's the first point. Second point, salt seasons. It really doesn't require a lot of explanation. Uh, salt has been uh, a preservative throughout the history of mankind. But what does it mean when salty is applied to believers? We're to be salty. We see that it flows from the previous section. That the blessed, satisfied with God, believers are to influence by preserving the moral standard that flows from God. Imagine a world with no moral compass and the courses that it would follow. We really don't have to imagine it, do we? We can see a multitude of moral issues gone awry in our world today. And beside each one of them, you find a Christian or many Christians Standing, warring against the immorality of it all. You are the salt of the earth. We live among the world and its worldliness. 
but we're no longer part of its ways. We don't exist to embrace the things of this world that they would influence us. We exist to show forth the love of God to a world that rejects the love of God. We have new ways to live given by the living God put on display here in these first 12 verses of chapter 5 in Matthew. The new ways that we have are effective in preserving the family, the office, the community. You know, to the world, your moral standards and your ethical standards are strange. Y'all realize that, right? They're strange. It's strange that you stand against abortion. Or strange that you stand against same-sex unions. Or it's strange that you stand against modern eugenics. It's strange that you stand against those things. You may experience that in your workplace or from your neighbors or maybe even from family members who live in your home or outside your home either way. It's not unusual. For family members to be in opposition on moral and ethical standards. But we certainly see that the salt of the earth is to influence these things. It's okay that your moral and ethical standards are strange to the world. They are supposed to be. They're supposed to be biblically based Look with me, if you will, at John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Jesus praying. John records these things that he says. And in John 17, 14 through 21, Jesus speaks of this relationship between the world and his followers. And he says in John 17, 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Continuing on in verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. That is, set them apart in the truth. Let them reside within the sphere of truth. Set them apart in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus is praying for us. That's what this is. You ever read this and just... Just bask in the prayer of Jesus for you. That's what he's doing. He's praying for us. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. 
Let them be set apart. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and they also may be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus is saying that place in which we live as Christians, sanctified by the truth, the word of God, believing the word and the words of God, that place that the word of God takes us is a place of sanctification, a place uh, that is set apart, and it's set apart from what? The world. For what purpose? And he tells us what it is. That they may know that I was sent by you. Folks, this is an evangelistic strategy Jesus is preaching here. He's letting us know, let me tell you, by you being set apart, you show yourselves different. And it gives you the means to be able to testify concerning me and to proclaim the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That the sanctification of those who are in Christ, delivering a message would match the message. And so he calls us to be salt in this world. Why? So the world may know you sent me. He never wants our evangelistic fervor to fall Because of our commitment to be a part. One actually feeds the other. We're to be salt. We're to flavor, if you will. So what this means is that your presence may change where what's going the activity around you. Have you ever walked into a room and the language changed? People decided, well, I'm not going to say those words around him. He doesn't like that. But why didn't he like it? Well, he's a believer. He's a Christian. People should know that about us. Well, I don't like those words. Don't use those words around me. Don't swear like that. Don't use those vulgarities. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain around me. Oh, they're going to call you all sorts of things. Goody two-shoes and, you know, things like that. I, I, I want us to see the, 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 the vital importance of how our presence can change the language around the conference table at work. Or the dinner table at home. The dirty jokes may not be completed when you approach a group of fellow workers. And they know, I'll tell you later. (laughs) Don't think that they were talking about you. Maybe they were. But don't think that they were talking about you. Think that your presence just changed and said, you know what, I'm not going to say that in front of them. That probably happens less today because I think people care less today. 
But I think that we do have that opportunity of changing the world right around us by standing on the gospel of Christ, by making known that we have a, we are believers. These seem to be small things, but the workplace is a microcosm of the world around us. It's a microcosm of the world around us. We, we need to understand that we can make a difference there and that can make a difference elsewhere. Basically, what we're doing is we're causing the ground around us to be infertile for the growth of corruption and evil. In Judges chapter 9, that's something that we uh, see Abimelech doing. Uh, they had taken over Shechem in verse 45 of Judges 9. It says, And Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He captured the city and killed the people who were in it, and he razed the city and sowed it with salt. Why did he do that? Well, the days before that, he had already uh, bombarded the city, and they had already licked them, if you will. But then the people started coming out of the city gate, out of Shechem, and they went out into the fields. Why were they doing that? They were going to sow seed. What did Abimelech do? Go attack those people. And by the way, find some salt and salt all these fields. Salt the fields and the city and everything else. Why? He wanted to render that ground infertile so that they could not build there again. They could not sustain and folks, as Christians, what is it that we are doing? By influencing the world around us, we are making the ground infertile for corruption and evil to rise wherever we are. So it's important to see salt as a preservative and as we as a preservative of a society of a place where we stand against evil, that it does not grow. But salt also seasons. Our seasoning is the joy of abundant life, isn't it? I mean, we're not, uh, as Christians, our job is to not walk around Somber, we're not to walk around just somber and, and, and like, you know, priest in a Monty Python movie. Y'all remember the monks in the Monty Python movie and they're walking and they're groaning and then all of a sudden they smack themselves in the head with a board, you know? No, that's, that's not who we are. We're not, we're not these morose people. We're people of joy, all right? We're people who live with joy. And we don't live with joy because of all that's going on in the world. We don't live with joy because we have riches or fame or we're free. That's not why we live with joy. We live with joy because we're part of a kingdom that's not of this world. A kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so there's a joyfulness about believers in Jesus Christ. As Christians, our lives influence because we are 
content in knowing Christ alone. Aren't you? Aren't you content just just Him? If I didn't have anything else and just Him, everything would be just fine. Right? As I thought of this, I, I thought of a song. And the words are very simple. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be His than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by His nail-pierced hand. In this we stand apart from the world. I'd rather have Him. If it's riches or Jesus, give me Jesus. That's a seasoning in this world. Who does that? The world would ask. Who gives up all that they have? For the sake of knowing Him. Believers throughout the ages do. And it influences. It changes. It transforms. And this we stand apart from the world. Paul claimed contentment in any circumstance because of knowing Christ. You know, being salt of the earth has its impact on believers as well. And has its impact on, uh, on the world around us. Because I think very much that people are amazed by the likes of Paul who sings hymns in a prison and then the earth shakes and he's set free and he doesn't escape. Certainly had an impact on the Philippian jailer. There's an old pastor who wrote quite a famous song called Amazing Grace, John Newton. And he noted something about Christians And their capacity for struggle and pain. And he noted also that there was a... Some people suffer more than others. And he said that influence causes us to be amazed. Listen to what he says. He writes... Some Christians are called to endure a disproportionate amount of suffering... Such Christians are a spectacle of grace to the church, like flaming bushes unconsumed, and cause us to ask, like Moses, why is this bush not burned up? The strength and stability of these believers can be explained only by the miracle of God's sustaining grace. The God who sustains Christians in unceasing pain is the same God with the same grace who sustains me in my smaller sufferings. We marvel at God's persevering grace and grow in our confidence in Him as He governs our lives. I like that, what he says. He says, such Christians are a spectacle of grace to the church, like flaming bushes unconsumed. What does that do? It influences us to stand under smaller 
strains, under smaller sufferings, under smaller uh, persecutions. But it also has an impact on the world around. The same man who wrote this wrote that beautiful hymn. But folks, I want you to know many people are moved by that hymn. Contemplate the gospel that it speaks of that saves a wretch like me. There's a great need for Christian influence in our society and in our world today. Not just simply to be cloistered up as one. You want to talk about a good way to cause a group to perish from the face of the earth? Just serve yourself. Not take the gospel elsewhere. Salt seasons through our speech. Paul points out something in Colossians chapter 4. In verse 6, he uses these words. He says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. How you ought to respond. Let your words be seasoned with salt. What's he getting at here? What's that look like? What's it sound like? I think the sister letter that goes along with Colossians, Ephesians, helps us with that. In the parallel passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, he says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Are you an encourager with your words? That's one way that we season both our homes and our workplaces. We build up and we encourage others with the words that we speak. And those words ought to reverberate the Word of God. We build up one another as the church. But also as we build up others around us with our speech. Woodrow Wilson, I got most of it out that time. He pointed out that it was the way that D.L. Moody spoke and listened that changed the timber of the room. It's important that we understand that our words matter you are the salt of the earth Christian and let me point to a couple of things that we can bring into our lives that it would matter to us and that we would be faithful to stand first of all abortion imagine what it would be like if there were no 
Christians railing with moral outrage against the practice of abortion. If Christians would just stay back and not be salt of the earth, if Christians would just stand back and not say anything about it, it would be normalized in a generation and nobody would ever stand against it again. But now, in almost 50 years, Christians have continued to stand and push back against the evil of abortion. And we shouldn't cease until it no longer exists as a legal activity in our nation. We should be the salt of the earth and adopting children when moms say, you know what? I'm not going to have an abortion, but what of this child? I'll take it. It's what Christians do and what they have done throughout our existence. Or the sexual immorality that exists in our world today. What would it be like if there were not Christians standing against the vast sexual immorality that take place today? Know where it is now, the LGBTQ plus movement is now. Imagine if there was never anything pushing against it. Or modern eugenics. Just give you an example of that. There's a test now where you can take a test and determine whether your child, unborn child, has Down syndrome. And I want you to know a multitude of people, many abortions take place because of that. Or euthanasia. I guess what I want you to know is this, is that as Christians, we have a task in this world, not only to make known the gospel of Jesus Christ and the love of God through that gospel, but we have a task also not to just sit back and mind our own business and to push against the evil that we see in this world. We should always be pushing against it, whether it be in prayer or whether it be in uh, financial resources or whether it be in boots on the ground at a crisis pregnancy center. No matter what it may be, whatever way we can do it, Christians need to always be pressing against the evil and the immorality that exists in this world. It is not what you are to become. It is what you are. Be the salt of this earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the amazing love that you have shown us and the overwhelming task that you have given us. Many have paid dearly with their own lives, Lord, to stand against injustice to stand against 
moral wrongs in this world. To stand against unethical practices. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would stir our own hearts as believers who are committed to your word and we're committed to one another. Father, that you would stir us that we, Lord, would be faithful and standing firm against the evil that is around us. Father, holding back those things from the minds of our children and teaching them, Lord, how to stand when they are grown. Father, I pray, Lord, that you, Lord, would be glorified as we live out the purpose that you've given us of being influencers in this world. Father, often we think, well, we've got to start a corporation or something. Really, it's just we've got to live as you have made us. So, Lord, let us be faithful in that. In Jesus' name, amen.